just a little. Amen. If you have a Bible, uh, open to John chapter 20. If you don't, you can uh, grab the pew Bible in front of you, that black Bible there, and open to page 1249. You'll find uh, the Gospel of John chapter 20. As we'll look at this morning, the gifts of Easter. One of the uh, experiences that I have every Easter is just reflecting back on how different Easter is for me now than it was growing up. Having not grown up in a Christian home, I uh, spent the entire uh, childhood not knowing that Easter was about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I didn't know that. That was never explained to me or taught to me. And so my experience of Easter was very different growing up. And then now as a born-again child of God, reflecting back on that, I'm always uh, just very grateful and thankful for uh, the difference. You know, I, I've noticed that families have different, uh, different ways of celebrating Easter in our house. When uh, my children were young, when they'd wake up, there'd be a basket there full of candy. And so they would uh, try to uh, eat as much as they could before we came to church and then think about it the whole time they were in church and then get home and have that. So lunch was never much of a big deal after church because it was candy time. I know some of you, uh, you get new uh, outfits every Easter. Maybe some of you, uh, a select few of you might have gotten a new car for Easter or a pony for Easter or something. But people have different ways of celebrating that. In my house growing up, I guess, I don't know if it was because we were so poor or just because my mom was uh, tended to be kind of a purist about things in, in her own unique way. And so in my house, there was never any candy. When, when we woke up on Easter morning, we would... Uh, begin to hunt through the house where we would find eggs. Now, not the kind of eggs that a kid would like that are filled with jelly beans, but actual real hard-boiled eggs that had been colored. And so we would look all over the house and we would find eggs that had been hidden during the night all over the house and then we'd gather them all together. And then I would wonder, what is a boy going to do with two dozen hard-boiled colored eggs? And so I would usually go outside and get myself in trouble with those eggs. But here's the thing. It always troubled me that while I was sleeping, a giant bunny got into my house and hid those things. And so the whole concept of Easter just really messed me up. And now, now uh, it's, it's the most glorious day of the year for us as believers to think about all that's been accomplished in the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and what would have happened apart from His resurrection. And so as we come to John chapter 20, I want you to understand the context of where we pick up the story. Jesus has already been crucified and the song that was just sung was about Mary Magdalene discovering uh, at the tomb that, that Jesus isn't there. And so we'll sort of pick up with her discovery that, that Jesus isn't there. But where his disciples, they are hidden away in a room, locked up uh, with the doors locked, the windows shut. 
afraid, uh, fear of the Jews, not sure what was going to happen now that Jesus was crucified. They were rattled and shaken because their Savior and Lord, the one who they thought was going to come and, and bring military might and free them from the oppression of the Romans, was now dead and buried in a tomb. And so everything that they had sort of hoped for and expected had crashed down around them. And so we pick up the story as Mary approaches that tomb. John chapter 20, beginning in verse 10. The Bible says, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes, but Mary stood outside the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet where the body of Jesus had lain. Now let's stop for a minute and let me help you with this. You notice that the detail the Bible gives about what is going on inside the tomb. If you read this account in the other Gospels, you find that all of the grave clothes are perfectly folded and wrapped up and everything is, is set exactly neatly. So the first miracle is a single man folded his laundry. So that's miracle number one. The, the angels are described as being at each end of where Jesus lay. Now, I want to uh, draw your attention to something. In Exodus chapter 25, the Bible gives a very, uh, very detailed description of the Ark of the Covenant and how uh, the people of God were going to come into God's presence. And they were going to build the Ark of the Covenant that would contain the Ten Commandments, this gold box, and all the dimensions and everything about that box are detailed in Exodus 25. And that would contain the presence of God and people would come into the presence of God by that box and on the top of the box would be the mercy seat. And the Bible says that on each end of the lid... The mercy seat would be two angels. And I want you to see that in the Old Testament, the Bible teaches that we would come to the mercy seat and there would be two angels that spanned the, the feet and the head of what would be the presence of God. And then the Bible tells us in exact detail that when Mary entered the tomb, she saw two angels, one at the feet, one at the head. And so all of this is... The Bible's way of letting us know that every prophecy is fulfilled and that everything is done in accordance with God's perfect plan. Let's continue reading verse 13. Then the angel said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Now when she had said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know that it was Jesus. So Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? And she, supposing him to be a gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. And she turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have yet not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and your God. But Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples all that she had seen of the Lord and that He had spoken these things to her. Verse 19. 
Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst of them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he, is, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when, when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I... See in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side. I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut and stood in the midst of them and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. Pray with me. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, for this perfect gift that You have given us in the Scripture, Lord. Thank You for the way it reveals who You are. It shows us Your nature and Your character. And God, this morning I pray You'll give us eyes to see and ears to hear the good news that You desire to share with us today. So, Father, will You now lead us through this passage By the power of your spirit, for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, over the past 12 years that I've been a pastor here at this church, I have literally had hundreds, maybe even thousands of conversations with people who were struggling with various issues and circumstances and situations in their life. And I've learned a lot over the course of those 12 years. I've I've seen how every... Situation is unique in that there are no two families that are the same. There's no two marriages that are exactly the same. That every circumstance, every situation, every problem brings with it its own unique details of that particular person or relationship or family or whatever the case may be. But I've also learned that there's a lot that's the same. In fact, there's one thing that's always the same in every conversation and in every problem, in every struggle, in every situation. And that is that there's a need for new life. In other words, when we find ourselves at a difficult place in life, if we could somehow turn back the clock, if we could somehow 
redo the, the first 10 years of our marriage, or if we could go back and get another chance to raise our children, or if we could just somehow get a, a new start, a, a clean slate where all of the problems, all of the mistakes of yesterday were not haunting us in today or following, following us into the situations we're facing now. If we could just have that, boy, we could... We could get through this problem. Everything would be so different. But here's the thing that Jesus doesn't say, I was resurrected. He says, I am the resurrection. That he brings this into the reality of our current, present life and situation. In Revelation chapter 21, he says, behold, I make all things new. That the story of the resurrection is really a story of new life. It's a story of mankind getting a new chance, a clean start, a blank slate, the opportunity to redo. It's like a mulligan in life. All the golfers got that, everyone else. It's another chance, if you will. And so that's what, that's what the resurrection is. And really... If you understand the gospel, if if you have ever read the Bible, then what you know is that really you can't say about the gospel today. You you can't say that the gospel is too hard. It's It's too stifling. It's too condemning. It's too... None of those excuses really work because none of them are true about the gospel. Really, the only... The only thing you could say about the gospel today in unbelief would be that it's, it's too good to be true. And that would be a valid response. Because oftentimes, even today, I read the Bible and I'm just so amazed at how good God is. And I just think, Lord... As much as I know about you and as long as I've walked in you, I still think to myself, it almost seems too good to be true. It's that good. So this morning, let's look at the gospel through the lens of Easter and let's open up some of the gifts that come with understanding the reality of what Easter is all about. The first gift I want to show you is the gift of faith. It's the obvious gift in this passage. Notice in verse 16, Jesus reveals himself to Mary. Jesus says to her, Mary. The Bible says in John chapter 10 that Jesus will will call his sheep by name. Of all the people for God to reveal himself first, it's Mary. Now, who is Mary? Mary Magdalene, when Mary came on the scene, when Jesus first met Mary, when we were exposed to Mary in the Bible for the first time, we found that Mary was a very troubled young lady. Mary was was filled with demons. Jesus cast demons out of her. She was a, a woman who was marginalized, a woman who had a bad reputation, a woman who people wouldn't really respect or listen to. And yet, all the world would overlook this Mary But not Jesus. He took time. He spent time with her. He healed her life. He taught her. He was her Savior. And of all the people, Jesus reveals Himself to this Mary first. Now, what does that tell you about this Jesus that we speak of? What does that tell you about our Lord and Savior? That He doesn't go to the powerful or the prominent. He doesn't even go first to His disciples or apostles. He goes first to This one, Mary, this weeping, weeping servant of the Lord 
who is totally bewildered and doesn't understand what's going on, but she's sorrowful in her heart because Jesus is not with her anymore. And so there she is crying at the tomb and he calls her by name. Verse 17 says, Go to my my brethren, go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to the Father and to your Father and to my God and your God. So Jesus is declaring to her, Now you go and you tell the disciples that I'm going to to my Father, but it's your Father, to our God. That's where I'm going. And He's including her in this amazing transformation that's taking place. Jesus then says to Thomas about the gift of faith. He says, reach your finger here. Look at my hands. Reach your finger right here where these nails were. Touch the side where the spear was thrust into me. See, Thomas... At the end of John chapter 20, the Bible ends by saying, And truly Jesus did many other signs and miracles in the presence of His disciples. So what we need to do first is think about all of the things that Mary and the disciples had seen Jesus do. This group of people had seen Jesus do unbelievable miracles. They had seen Him almost eradicate all sickness and all suffering in whole sections of Palestine. Wherever he would go, he would heal everyone there. And there wouldn't literally be one sick person among them. They had seen him command the wind and the waves. They had seen him raise up Lazarus out of the tomb. They had seen Jesus do all these miracles. And yet, their first impression is to go run and hide. Mary stoops down, looks in the tomb. Jesus had told Mary to her face that I will die, but I will rise again. And instead of looking into the tomb and seeing that it's empty and saying, He did it. He rose again. He actually followed through with what He said. She doesn't. She says, He's not there. Someone has stolen Him away. But what does that teach us about faith? What does that tell you and me who haven't lived the lives that these people have lived? In other words, if they cannot muster enough within them to have faith, to understand that the one who had always done everything he said he would do, had always followed through with every promise, had accomplished everything he said he would do, and yet they still doubted, what hope do we have? You see? You see that... That if anyone ever in the history of the world should have immediately thought he rose from the dead, it should have been Mary and the disciples and Thomas. And yet they don't. They doubt. And that's because faith is a gift. Faith isn't something you can muster up inside. Ephesians 2 says, for by grace we've been saved through faith. That it's not of ourselves. We don't cultivate in ourselves. But it's the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. That it's something that has to be given to us, us, and we can't earn it. We can't work for it. And so really the question is, if, if faith is a gift, if God gives that, then how do we, how do we get it? What, what role do we play in receiving faith? Because we need to certainly know that. Certainly there are some of us in this room this morning who... Right now, you realize you you don't have the faith you need to have. So what do you do? Well, from this passage, we can see two clear things that we do. Number one, we, we go to Him. Mary 
went to the, well, she's at the tomb. She goes to him. See, to be saved, you gotta place what little bit of faith you have. That, that faith that you think is insufficient. It's not enough. You place that in Christ to receive salvation. He gives you the gift of faith through coming to Him. You see, you can't, you can't try harder because then it would be work. Then you would earn it and then it wouldn't be a gift. So many people come to church on Easter. They come to church and they feel distant from God. They feel apart from God. You feel a little out of place oftentimes because, you know, this is not your normal Sunday morning routine. And so you feel a little bit just awkward. You don't know when to stand or when to sit or what to do or what's going on around you. And I remember that feeling. I know what that feels like. But the thing is, is that if God seems like a distant part of your past, or maybe he, he seems like some distant God that you've really never known, then maybe today you, you need to start by coming to Him. The gospel is good news for you to respond to, for you to come to Him. You see, we're, we're not saved by the strength of our faith. We're, we're saved by the strength of our God. And there's a huge difference because you can convince yourself that, no, you can't do this because you don't, you don't know enough. You're not ready enough. You haven't fixed enough things in your life. But see, trying harder and doing better is all just works. What Jesus is calling you to do is, wherever you are today, come unto Him. You know, every single Sunday, every Sunday, people walk into this place and they, they sit amongst us and we sing and I preach. And there are things going on in their life that don't make sense. Kind of like Mary looking into that tomb and seeing it empty and trying to sort out what's going on. And, and they're, they're, they're just struggling, trying to sort out what's going on in their life. And how, is, how are they going to get through this? And what does all this mean? But the gospel message rests on their heart. It begins to work in their life in such a way. And just like Mary, they come, they respond. In whatever condition they're in, they respond to what they hear. And God grants them the gift of faith and they are changed forever, forever. You see, when she arrived at that tomb, you've got to understand something. Mary was a shattered wreck. She was in, in, in turmoil. But when she walked away to go and tell the other the, the disciples what she had seen and heard, everything was different. She would never be the same. That was the defining moment in her life. See, it was one thing to meet Jesus. It was one thing to be in the presence of Jesus. It was one thing for Him to, to, to minister to her and to perform miracles upon her. But when He rose from the dead, that's when everything came full circle. That's when she recognized and realized exactly what was going on. So we got to come to Him, first of all. Second of all, to cultivate faith, we got to understand we, we have to, we got to, we got to drop our conditions. We have to be willing to come to God, willing to, 
to listen. In other words, it's okay to ask questions. The Bible says in Psalm 16 that we're to, we're to taste and see that the Lord is good. That we're to, we, we can test God. We can ask Him questions and say, Lord, I don't understand this. Will you help me with this? Will you show me this? But we have to be willing to come to Him and willing to lay down all of our questions if He'll answer them, if He'll work within us, if He'll, if He'll draw us unto Him. See, Thomas shows us that. Notice how Thomas, in verse 25, he says, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, or put my finger there, in the, where the nails were, or see his side, then I'm, I'm not going to believe. Now, Thomas, Thomas is an amazing uh, apostle. God does amazing things through Thomas. God makes a special trip back just to reveal himself to Thomas. That shows you a little bit about who Thomas is. But Thomas... Prior to this moment where he is confronted by the risen Lord, Thomas was a skeptic. He, he struggled. He had questions. And you know, he's, he's not that different from some of you here today. Some of you are the kind of people that whenever someone tells you something, you always respond with why. You want to know how does that work? You know, you, you're the kind of person who takes everything apart so you can see the way it went together and then you put it back together again. You're, you're like my son who just dismantles everything he has. Uh, no matter how expensive it is or how new it is, he wants to know how it works and then he puts it all back together and we all just hope and pray that it'll ever work again. I mean, my, uh, my life is filled with stories of Colton dismantling things and, uh, exploring the, the inner workings of gadgets and that turning into a fiasco. I, I, his room is upstairs. One of the things we did when he got old enough to start all his little experimentations, he had a little workbench up in his room with a couple tools and things. And so we tried to monitor all the things that he was up there, you know, had in his laboratory. And I got him one of those escape ladders that are like rope ladders that fold up to put there so that if he's caught something on fire, he could let it out his window and climb down to safety. Seriously, I put the the smoke detector right there for Colton, right there. I mean, one day I'm, I'm downstairs and I, I hear this unbelievable crashing noise, like going on upstairs. And what I didn't know is that my wife had thrown away a vacuum cleaner and Colton had found a vacuum cleaner in the garbage can and thought, why would anyone throw this away? So he takes the vacuum cleaner upstairs and takes it apart and gets the engine to the vacuum out. Then he plugged it in. Now, it's like a Tasmanian devil going all over his room, bouncing off the walls, just going. Yeah, that's Thomas. Thomas has questions. He wants to understand why. He, he has a bit of the Eeyore complex. If you follow uh, Thomas through Scripture, he's kind of a, a negative fellow at first. You know, in John chapter 11, Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. And Thomas responds and says, well, let us go also because we'll just die with you. You know, 
Then in John chapter 14, Jesus is saying that, you know, if I go away, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you, but I'm going to return and receive you unto myself. And Thomas responds, Lord, well, we do not know where you're going. How are we supposed to find you? I mean, he's kind of like Eeyore in the sense that, you know, Winnie and Piglet want to go have a picnic. And they're like, come on, Eeyore, we're going to have a picnic. And he says, okay, but I'm sure it's going to rain. You know, he's always got something negative about everything. And so he's a skeptic. He wants to know. And maybe, maybe you're here this morning. A lot of, a lot of us are this way. We will come to church and we'll think, you know, Lord, I would, I would like to believe this. See, I, I, I'd like to have faith like other people have. But here's the problem. I would give myself to you if. I would believe all this if. And there's these conditions. There's this, you know, if you would take this thing out of my life or bring this other thing into my life or explain to me why this thing happened to me, then I would have faith. You see, and that's what Thomas did. Thomas said, well, if you would do all these things, then I would have faith. So in verse 27, Jesus comes to Thomas and he says, well, reach your finger right here. Here, Thomas, take a look. Here's my side. Go ahead. Take a look. And what happens? Does, does Thomas actually do that? You ever read that closely? Thomas doesn't put his finger there. Thomas doesn't even take Jesus up on his offer. He takes one look at Jesus and responds, My Lord and my God. Why? Jesus is merely saying, I've done this for you. This was for you, Thomas. And that's all it took. You see, what he thought he needed answers to, really all he needed to do was be in the presence of the Lord and he just responded. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2.13 that if we're faithless, he remains faithful. You see, that's the God that we serve. That he, he comes to us. He, he pursues us. He loves you and he loves me. And so when our faith is weak, when, we, when we're having uh, trouble trying to uh, believe God comes to us and He will show Himself to us. He will help us in our unbelief. That's the Lord. That's what He did for Thomas. That's what He did for Mary. That's what He'll do for you. So we see the gift of peace. Secondly, or the gift of faith. Then we see the gift of peace. The second thing in verse 17 we see is that Jesus says to, to Mary, He says, do not cling to me. As soon as He said her name, she just grabbed a hold of Him. And she was thinking, I've got him and I'm never letting him go. And here's what Jesus says. He says, now, don't cling to me, for I've not yet ascended. That sounds a little bit harsh in the sense that she's so overwhelmed with joy. And it's almost like Jesus is saying, now, back off, back off. Don't, don't hurt me. Don't. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, is that don't cling to me in in." in the flesh. Don't cling to me in person because what's about to happen is going to be better than me being here and you holding on to me. That instead of me being here with you, I'm going to be inside of your heart, always there with you and with all of my disciples, all of my children. In John chapter 16, Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you this truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Then in John 14, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, but it neither sees him 
nor knows Him. But you know Him, for He dwells with you, and He will be in you. Jesus is telling Mary, listen, this is good, but it's about to get better. I'm going to ascend, and when I do, I'm going to send my Spirit to make my presence known in your heart. That you won't have to hear me speak to you audibly as two people, but I'll be able to communicate with you in your heart that what's coming is going to be Better than anything you could ever believe. And so that's why Jesus repeats over and over, peace be with you. That and the fact that he needs to say something like that, considering that they're all locked up in a room and suddenly he's there. So rather than them panic and, and, and you know, freak out and think, it, and at one point they think he's a ghost. And he says, no, I'm not a ghost. Give me a piece of fish. And he eats it. He says, have you ever seen a ghost eat fish? Well, you got us there, Jesus. We've never seen that. And so it's this gift of peace that comes because He's going to plant His Spirit in our hearts. But what about the gift of purpose? What about what would it mean to you to be able to know this morning why you exist? What, what you're here for? What is your purpose? You know, you're not just... You're not just going through the motions. It's not just every day you wake up and it's the same old thing, Monday through Friday, and you're just living to get to the weekend, and then you try to recover through, and then here we go again, and just on and on and on. Life just sort of drones on. You wonder, why am I here? What am I accomplishing that matters? Have you ever thought to yourself, if I weren't here, would, would anybody miss me? Would anybody even know? Would it change anything? Jesus, through the resurrection, He brings purpose into our lives. In verse 21, Jesus said unto them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. See, He he commissions them. He breathes on them and indicates to them that you're about to get the Holy Spirit here just real soon at Pentecost and everything's going to change. And He says, you know, if you go out and, and you forgive sins, they're forgiven. But if you retain sins, they're retained. In other words, what he's saying is the message of the gospel. What I'm doing right now, I am declaring to you that if you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your sins will be forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying. And I'm declaring to you that if you reject Jesus as your Savior, your sins will not be forgiven. So He's giving us the power as His disciples, as His people, to declare the good news of the gospel. He's sending us out. He's giving us purpose. I mean, after meeting the resurrected Lord, look at what changed. I mean, these men and women changed the world. That this little group of frightened individuals in a a little dot on this globe changed the world through this one encounter with the resurrected Lord. Now, are you just a, a consumer when it comes to things about God? Do you, do you come to the Bible or do you come to church just to get a little inspiration, to maybe feel a little bit better about yourself once in a while? Is it just a sporadic sort of part of your life? Or is there a mission within you? Is there a purpose within you? You know, that's the the exciting thing about being a part of a family like this is that together we watch each other live on purpose. We're able to, I mean, the, the amount of people in this room right now who spent this weekend serving other people 
is utterly astonishing. It's astonishing. And here's the thing. If you were to talk to them, none of them would tell you that there's anything else they would have rather done. That they, they find such joy and such... And the thing is, they weren't doing... Their grass still needs to be mowed. They're, they still have a honeydew list at home. There's still laundry that needs to get folded. But that's not their purpose. They live for a bigger mission. And my point is, is that that's what the resurrection does. When you encounter a resurrected Lord, you realize that He sent us out. That He's commissioned us to accomplish something that will last for all eternity. And that our lives will never again be meaningless. That we'll never wonder, well, why am I here? Well, what difference does this make? You and I possess the greatest message the world could ever hear. And God said, now you go. You're my ambassadors. You're my my spokesmen and my spokeswomen. You go out and you tell the world about me. You see, the Bible declares that that you were created in His image. That you, you were knit together by God in your mother's womb. That he, he did all of that. That He knows everything about you. That you are unique and special and one of a kind in every way. He knows that. And yet, apart from Him, with all of that being true, you can feel utterly and completely of no real consequence. You're just, you're just there. You're just a, a paycheck. You're just, you're just going through the motions. The resurrection gives our life such great purpose. I, I, I remember when I first got saved, I, I came to this church so just unchurched, I didn't know anything. And I remember just literally in the first several weeks that I was a, a Christian, I remember thinking to myself now, Now, these people, they come to church on Sunday morning, they come to church on Sunday night, and then they come to church on Wednesday. Man, that's a lot of church. And I I remember, now this is, I'm just being honest with you, okay? This is what I thought. I thought, that's just weird. I mean, can't you just get it done once a week? Can't, can't we just handle it on Sunday morning? Or really, why don't we just everything be on Sunday night so we don't have to get up so early, right? Why don't we do that? And then as I began to grow as a believer, here I was in church on Sunday nights. And then here I was wanting to come to... And pretty soon I'm in... And then I'm looking forward to church and I can't wait to come to church. And that everything changed. That I realized that we're not here because we have to be. We're here because we want to be. You see, there's there's this unbelievable, unnatural transformation that takes place in a life that has purpose. You want to accomplish that purpose. You want to live for that purpose. You realize that there is something greater that you can invest in. And so next weekend, next Saturday, a group of people are going to assemble and, and drive up to Wiggins and serve in the, in the children's village. But none of those kids uh, uh, belong to anyone in this room. We're not connected in any way, related to anyone up there. And yet every month, people from this church go up there and celebrate uh, the birthdays and bring all the birthday gifts for, for kids who are, don't have moms and dads, for, for orphans. And, and men and women go up there and have repainted the entire facility, have done all this amazing construction inside. Why? Why? It's unnatural. 
You don't just give your life for people you don't know unless someone greater that you do know gave his life for you. You see, it's a purpose. The resurrection gives us purpose. So we have the gift of faith. We have the gift of peace. We have the gift of purpose. And lastly, we have the gift of life. New life. That's the whole story of the resurrection. In verse 31, the apostle John says, And these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that in believing you may have life in His name. You see, it's, it's, it's about life. Well, what kind of life? What does that mean? Well, here's what that means. It means, first of all, that you, you get the gift of life in His family. That you, you are born again into the Lord Jesus Christ and, and put into this amazing family of believers. So you get this gift of life that you can exist in the context of family. Now, I want you to see something very important. In verse 17, the Bible says, And Jesus said to her, to Mary, Go to my brethren or go to my brothers. Now, I want you to underline brothers in your Bible or brethren and write brothers over that. That is the first time in Scripture Jesus ever referred to the disciples as brothers. In other words, now that he's resurrected, they're no longer friends. They're no longer his students. They're no longer even people that he loves. They're now his brothers. You see, they've, they've been born again, adopted into his family. And so now he refers to them, they're my brothers for the very first time. You see, because of the resurrection, you and I now are part of God's family, that he's our heavenly father, that we're co-heirs with Christ. The Bible says that Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren, you and me. What a great truth. You see, Here's what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say to Mary, who's weeping, and she's there. I mean, isn't that how church goes? It's always, it's always the ladies who are there first, isn't it? <laughs> I always wonder, if the Lord returns, when the rapture comes, it's going to be a bunch of guys sitting around church like, what happened? All our wives, are, you know, it's the ladies. And how many of us in here is in our story? What happened is, it was our wife. That, that brought us to church. It's, it's the wife who's always going, tomorrow's Sunday, we need to go to bed early. Let's lay out the clothes. Let's make sure we go. It's the women who so many times are, are so much stronger than we are. And there she is. And so here's what Jesus, Jesus doesn't just say, Mary, I love you. I call you by name. Don't cling to me. It's going to be okay. Now go tell those frady cat deserters that are hiding in a room like a bunch of chickens to get over here. I want to talk to them. He didn't say that, but he could have. In fact, maybe you think he should have. He didn't say, well, where, where are the guys that I spent three years of my life discipling and teaching? Where are the ones who have seen everything that I've done? Where are the ones who were in the boat when I walked up on water? Where are they? He didn't say that. He said, go tell my brothers. You see? Because he realizes that it's the resurrection that's going to bring the gift of faith. That they need that. And so he responds to them in love and calls them his brother. My goodness, in Luke 24, when Luke tells this story, Luke adds the detail that 
in verse 34, he says, the, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon Peter. Now, not only does he say, go tell my brothers, but who's the first disciple that God reveals himself to? Peter. Who's the one that denied him three times? Who's the one who, who disappointed him the most? Who's the one who turned his back on him in his greatest moment of need and said, I don't even know him and ran away like a coward? And who does he go to first? That one. You see, that ought to encourage you this morning. Maybe you feel like you've let God down in such a way that he can, he, he's, he's not interested in you anymore. Maybe you feel like you've done things that are so bad or you've been involved in things for so long or they're just things that just are, are too big for God to care about you. There's too many people who aren't as bad as you are. He must be concerned about them. And Jesus shatters that notion by going to marry this broken down woman of the night and then turning around and going to Peter, the coward who just turned his back on him three times. This is the Lord that we serve who brings the gift of life to those who are in great need, to those who are willing to receive the gift. 1 John 3, 1. The Bible says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. It's a gift of life in the context of family. Right here, now, today, you have the opportunity before you to receive that gift and to join in to what God is doing in the context of family. But it's not just life and family. No, it's better than that even. It's the gift of life for eternity. It's the gift of life for all of eternity. That's why verse 31 says, And in believing that you may have life in His name. That life is a life that never perishes. It's a life that never ends. It's a life eternal. In John 10, Jesus says, My sheep, they hear My voice. I know them and they follow Me. And nothing, nothing can take them out of the palm of My hand. Nothing. Why? Because I'm the God that grants eternal life. It's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that raises me and you out of our death, out of our sin, that will keep us from the grave. That in the instant that we say goodbye to this world, we say hello to life eternal with Him. It's the same power. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says, God has not only raised up the Lord, but also raises us up through His power. It's the same resurrection power. But what does that mean? Because it just sounds too good to be true. Are you saying to me, Pastor, that, that these gifts that you speak of, they're available to us today? Is that, is that, could that be? Do you, do you, you don't know me. You don't know who I am. You don't know what I've been through. How could that be true? Well, I want you to consider. I want you to consider, what are we doing here today? I mean, why, why did you come here? Because that in and of itself is astonishing. In other words, 2,000 years ago, there was a Jewish carpenter. Just a, a simple Jewish carpenter. He lived 30 years of his life in, in obscurity. Grew up in a little hick town outside of Jerusalem. He was only a public figure for about three years. He never traveled more than 25 miles from his house. And yet, today, 
There are tens of millions of people that declare him as their savior. That this man's life is celebrated around the globe. That every winter, the vast majority of the globe goes dormant as we all together celebrate his birthday. That hundreds of thousands of people will go every year and visit Israel and they won't ask, well, where did the great Roman emperors live? They won't ask, tell me the great historical sites of of the great Rome. But what they'll want to know is, where was the Jewish carpenter? Where did he walk? Where did he teach? Where did his disciples go? Where where was he buried? What? How could that be? I mean, how is it that over thousands of years, this one man's life has remained at the forefront of humanity? The message won't die. The kingdom keeps growing. In other words... Does that make any sense to you at all? In the instant that that tomb was filled with the body of Jesus Christ, Christianity was over. It was just another fad in the thousands of fads that had come and the millions that were yet to come. People for generations and for all of eternity have declared themselves to be God of some sort or Savior of some sort. But where are they? You see, if he dies, we're not having this conversation. This place isn't here. We're not talking. I don't know you. You don't know me. But once he rose from the dead, everything changed. That that little story that should have just disappeared into the annals of history. It should have just been a little footnote along the way in some textbook. That story has changed the world. And that millions of people will declare that Jesus is their Savior and their testimony is that He has radically revolutionized and changed their life. And now you and me can exist in a place. You can come and visit here and live among us and you can watch people do the most unnatural things. You can watch them give away what's precious to them. You can watch them serve people who can't give anything in return. How would you explain that? How? It wouldn't have happened. But the tomb be empty. And he revealed himself to people who then, in light of what they'd seen, were willing to die to spread that message. And so on it went and it's gaining steam every day. You see, when you read the newspapers and watch TV and people talk about how Christianity's fading, how the church is dying. Well, no one told us about that. Everywhere I look, I see the church growing. I see people transforming. I see the gospel going forth all over the place, all over the globe. God is working. He's working. And today we're one day closer to his return. And so, how? How could you say today anything other than it is maybe too good to be true? But in light of, in light of history, how, how will I overcome all that's happened? Well, consider this. Consider that what seems too good to be true because of the resurrection becomes absolutely true. That because of the resurrection, because he rose from the dead, he verified for all time that he is God. And if he's God, 
Who else would you want to spend your time getting to know? Who else could compete with that? He's God. He's the triune God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the hero of every page of Scripture. He's the one who chose to reveal Himself to His own creation. He's the one who pursued a relationship with mankind. He is the God who saw the chasm of darkness that our sin had created. He saw our hopelessness. He saw our depression. But He didn't turn away. He didn't He didn't have a blind eye. He responded to us. He willingly gave His one and only Son that we might know Him and receive Him as a payment for our transgressions. It was light that sought out darkness. It was good that came to evil. And it was and it is the most unlikely of all loves. It is the good news of the gospel that this morning is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. It is Jesus Christ, the crucified one, the risen one, the ascended reigning king and savior of the world, the once dead but now alive Jesus, who at the very first Easter, in that moment, he burst forth in marvelous light, declared his victory over death. He defeated our sin once and for all. And today, Easter 2008, and 12, he says to you and me, you don't have to be broken anymore. You don't have to feel that pain anymore. You can lay your shame aside. You can bring your regrets to me. You can stop the sorrows. You can heal the bitterness. You can have all your doubts removed. All of your sin can be forgiven today because I have rose from the dead. And what do we do with all that? What do you do with all of the, all of the hurt and all the pain and all the suffering and all the questions and all the insecurities and all, what do you do with it? You gather it all together and you lay it down at the foot of the cross, the empty cross next to the empty tomb because he's not on the cross anymore. He's not in the tomb anymore. He's alive. He's alive. And Easter is about new life. And the gift of Easter is this morning, you and I can celebrate the fact that God has laid before us the opportunity to receive the greatest gift that anyone could ever have, the gift of new life. Would you stand and bow your heads? For just a moment, we'll stand. We'll close our eyes and just... Pray before the Lord and ask Him to help us. Help us to respond in a time of decision. Father God, You have laid out before us the gifts, Lord, that Easter brings. And Father, we've come today, Lord God, a a group of very different people from different backgrounds, Lord God, different family situations, different struggles, different victories. But Father, we're here together. And we want to respond to the message, Lord, that you've given us. So, Father, in this moment, I pray that you'll encourage each one here to not let anything stand between them and you. Lord God, will you reveal to our hearts new life is available today, today. For those of us who've received it, God, let us celebrate our wonderful, precious Savior 
and all that he's accomplished on the cross and rising from the dead. Lord God, thank you for Easter. Now may you be glorified in our courage as we respond to you. In Jesus' name.